You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 170, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. On this edition of the podcast, I chatted with Kip Berman of The Natural. You likely know Berman as a longtime frontman of Brooklyn indie pop sensations, the pains of being pure at heart. But over the course of the last few years, Berman underwent both a personal and musical evolution as he officially ended pains, moved to New Jersey and started a family, and reemerged with a new musical identity in the natural. The songs on the project's debut record, Tethers, which is out now via K9 Records, represent a change in style to a more folk-oriented sound and a shift in thematic focus as Berman gets more reflective on how the passage of time has impacted himself and those around him. During our interview, we chatted all about our shared love for Princeton Record Exchange and WPRB, what it was like recording the record with Andy Savers, how the changes in his life over the last half decade have shaped his music, and much more. Plus, Kip picked some great records from my collection, including some from friends like Janine's and Crystal Stilts, and legends like Roberta Flack, Neil Young, and... Bob Dylan. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, here for another great episode of Look at My Records with Kip Berman of The Natural. His new album, Tethers, is out now via K9 Records. Congrats on the release of this great album, your debut solo full length. And I have a ton of questions about it. Can't wait to get into the nitty gritty of the album. But before that, tell me a little bit about how's life been for you recently? Weird times, obviously, but how are you holding up? Well, Tom, it's good to speak to a fellow uh, New Jerseyan. Hell yeah. I feel like we can really really relate to each other here uh, in the Garden State of New Jersey. Uh, (laughs) For those of you that don't know, I I live in Princeton, New Jersey, where I've been since about 2016. Um, I have two small but not quite as small as they once were children my daughter viola is about to turn five in april and uh my son maury is about two and a half and i kind of made this record before he was born and now he's two and a half and it's uh and the record's about to be born uh so that's interesting and uh how am i doing you know it's a tough question to answer because i think everyone's dealing with some version of the same thing so um, I think everyone kind of has a right to say they're, how they're doing. You know, it's, it's been a, it's certainly a long year, and it's maybe going to be a, another long year be, as as we kind of wait for music venues to open up. But I, I, I do think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and, and my concerns are mostly for, you know, the people that work in the physical spaces of music more than just the performers. Because, you know, when when everything shut down, you know, I could still go to my basement and, like, 
write a song or yeah, um, and do the, or do other things that were creative or in some ways connected to my 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 work or my life. Um, but for people that you know work in in clubs and venues and bars and things like that, you know, whether it's bartenders, people working the door, like sound engineers, lighting people, just you know the people like food food service. I mean, you really that was like when when those spaces shut down, it's a lot harder for those people um, to find, you know be able to work at all. So I, I think I'm pretty lucky in that I wasn't lonely because I had two very small children and my partner here. Uh, yeah. And so even if you're stuck in the house, you're stuck in the house with uh, others. And I, so I wasn't lonely and I, I had things that I could do besides just trying to keep everyone uh, happy and um, not knocking each other's magnetile buildings over. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I, magnetiles, for, for those of you who don't know, like little kids have these wonderful things. I don't think they had them when I was a kid where they're sort of these magnetic uh sort of like building blocks or shapes that you can mix together and build uh, extravagant buildings with. And then That's little, awesome. And then your little brother can come over and just like knock them all over. Yeah, and yeah. It, it creates like a little like a... Tension. A, pe- a, a peacekeeping mission that dad yeah. has to try to like, <laughs> like insert himself into. So yeah, I, I, I've been... I mean, I've been all right. And I... And if, you know, it's... And I recognize that everyone's kind of been like dealing with a lot of the same stuff this past year, so... Looking forward to a better times to come, for sure. Totally. They're absolutely on the horizon. You talked about a little bit your move to Princeton after being based in Brooklyn for many, many years. Been there for about five years now. What was that move like for you initially? Did you welcome it at the time? And how has it changed the way that you make music? Well, I didn't know much what to expect. And I think I think my friends back in Brooklyn were more sad on my behalf than I was. I'd say that. Like, I, I, you know, I'd been in New York for, you know, 10 years. I played music. I feel like I'd kind of, I, I mean, I could have stayed there another 10 years. I could have stayed there another 100 years and been just as happy. But sometimes life changing is actually obviously good for its own sake, but also good for artistic yeah. things too. Like, it, it really shifts your perspective and the things you're concerned about and the experiences you're having. And it, allows you to process those experiences in different ways and you know i don't it's not i don't want to get too highfalutin or whatever but you know when you're when you're doing different stuff all the time and you're concerned about different things it it naturally is gonna uh reflect in the music that you're making whether it's you know music that's like sort of contending with the reality that you're experiencing this new reality or or music that's trying to escape from it in, in some way and i i think there's a bit of that tension on the record that i made uh, since my time coming here to New Jersey and the songs that I wrote, and um, and, I, and I I'm I'm grateful that my life has changed because it allowed not just for its own sake but like for the music that I made it it didn't it didn't feel stale or anything it felt like a, fr- a fresh thing like starting a new band like singing about new things and uh, as as you get older it's harder and harder to find that freshness and that spark of uh, creativity uh, that you might've had when you were like 20 or 25. And, uh, and I, I didn't want to start, you know, just re rehashing a lot of old experiences again and again and again. Um, Cause I think like it just wouldn't have been, been uh, interesting. So I, I'm, I'm kind of grateful that my life became sort of like the opposite of what it was before. And that my life, that my music then, kind of became the opposite of what it was in a lot of ways too so um 
I love it here. I, I for those that people that don't know Princeton, it's about forty five miles. It's beautiful it's, town. Beautiful. Yeah, town. but it's like you know, it's it's not like uh, it's uh, it's like New York in a lot of ways, and you don't yeah, have to totally. dr- drive places. Is you can just walk to. There's a great record shop called Princeton oh, Record Exchange. My number one favorite record store. It is an incredible record store. Everyone in New York City. Uh, you got to go check out Princeton Record Exchange. You could hop on NJ Transit from Penn Station. 45, 50-minute yeah, ride. Yeah, Tom, I mean, I, I have friends in Brooklyn who like, come down to Princeton Record Exchange to just go record shopping, yeah. you know, like, like before COVID, of course, you know, but because, like, you know, here it's still that golden age of used vinyl is like five bucks, you know? Yes. It's like you can get a bunch of records and try things you might not. Like, is this a good Marianne Faithful record? I don't know, but it's like $3, <laughs> so I'm going to try it out. Yeah. And that's, that at least in New York City was a lot harder. Like every every time you wanted to buy something, you really had to think about it and like sort of research it and like listen to it before. And and obviously that's you know that's that's fine. But there's something fun about that sense of going into a record store and just grabbing a couple records for a few bucks and hoping that you you might have gotten a gem or you heard something that you weren't wouldn't normally buy for yourself if it was like twenty dollars. You know so. Princeton Record Exchange being here has been great. There's a great college radio station, yes. WPRB. WPRB, great, and, great. And I I grew up in like outside Philadelphia, and I could barely hear it when I was growing up. But it was just like this this real like gift from the gods. You'd like tune it in, and it'd be really staticky, and the DJs would never tell you what they played. But it was still like you'd hear this music that was <laughs> yeah. that was you'd never hear in other places because you know it wasn't like there was like the internet quite the same way when I was a kid. So it, like, college radio was really really an access to a different world and. To be able to live in a place where that's the de facto radio station that you can listen to when you're in your car or whatever is really cool. And there's even like there's a bodega on my corner still. There's a pizza shop at the end of the street. Like I, I feel like I have the best of both worlds. And you know, the best part is because Princeton is a, a city where there's a university. I mean, it's not even a city, it's like a town. There's a university, there's like tons of international people and people from all over. So it feels it feels cosmopolitan in yeah, a lot of the same diverse. ways that New York does. That's great. It's not like it's not like this is what you might think of as like the typical New Jersey suburb, which yeah. is, you know, that's fine too, I guess. But like, it, it doesn't feel like I'm missing out on that much from when I was living in Brooklyn and, and, and the friends I have here and the people I've met from all over and from different backgrounds. It's, it's been actually really cool. And I'm really happy that my children get to live in a place where there's trees uh, on the streets and parks they can play in and playgrounds and stuff like that that are pretty accessible. So I think my friends were worried about me like more than I was worried about myself. Like they, they felt sorry <laughs> yeah. for me, but I didn't feel sorry for myself. And uh, so, yeah, I, I obviously it's not where I'm from, but I, I, I feel very happy to adopt uh, Princeton, New Jersey as my new my, my new hometown. And I, I was really excited. I thought I was going to be the most... Uh, famous musician in Princeton, New Jersey. I was like, oh, this is great. You know, New York is tough. You're kind of competing against like Biggie, Vampire Weekend. Like, you know, there's like a lot of, you know, the Beastie Boys, like the Ramones, like um, Nas. Like there's like a lot of things. Like you really have to work yourself up the the pecking order to really register as like a a, a New York artist of of recognition. But um, but in Princeton, I was like, oh, this is great. I got the market cornered here. <laughs> but then I found out, you know who's from Princeton is Blues Traveler. So, oh, um, my gosh. Fucking John Popper, dude. John Popper, man. Come like, on, man. No disrespect, but it, it's. I, I guess I'm I'm at least a distant number two. for Maybe number three. I'm not even sure who else is from here. But, uh, but definitely just, just Blues Popper is number one. We got to get a Princeton collab going between Kip Berman and John Popper. 
but he would just I, I, I keep on, I keep on trying to contact Tom. I keep on trying to contact John Popper, but he keeps on giving me the runaround. <laughs> did it, it zing? That was beautiful. <laughs> I'm so glad that that just happened. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. I, th- beautiful, I think that's like going to be the highlight of this interview was a, a, <laughs> a bad blues traveler uh, joke. So, John Popper, if you're out there, reach out to us. From one, from John Popper to Indy Popper, like you know, it, it's, it's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the segue. And another segue from um, Indy Pop. So, for the natural, you really made this conscious decision to kind of literally close the chapter on the pains of being pure at heart as you ended the project, but sonically and thematically as well the way this project sounds and the topics that you dive into on the lyrics in these songs why'd you decide it was the right time to end that project and move on under a new moniker i guess you know it's kind of funny like it's probably the band I think of the pains as like 2007 to 2017 or whatever, 2016, like the whatever that 10 year period is when I, I moved to New York in 2006 and started the band with my friends. And, and I, I kind of feel like it ended when I moved out of New York in 2016. Yeah. And it was the band was really about that, that, that specific time in my life and the things I was doing and the people I was doing things with, um, meeting Peggy and Alex and Kurt and later Kristoff and like all the people that played in pains, Jacob. Um, a lot of them played and actually on this record too. So it's like, it's like, it's not totally different people, but uh, it's like, I feel like Pains was about that time of life of being young, moving to New York and, and those experiences that you shared with your friends. And, uh, and when I left New York and what it coincided with becoming a father, whatever animated that music just vanished. It wasn't like I was looking for it either. It wasn't like, oh no, I have writer's block. How am I going to keep making songs like this? It was just like whatever piece of sand in the oyster or whatever it is that it, it just, it wasn't, the irritant wasn't there anymore to create in that way. And so I didn't. And I was just playing guitar at my house, basically with like my baby daughter and playing her funny songs all day. And then kind of taking that little like old nylon guitar into the basement and like writing kind of myself for myself and after she went to bed at night and 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 that's sort of how these songs started and uh so ending ending pains was it wasn't i know i sent out like an email in like 2019 or something and said hey like the, the band's over i'm doing this new thing but it was over yeah like three years before that and i just yeah. kind of didn't get around to like actually pushing send on an email you know <laughs> it's yeah. like, and i was like of course it's a little hard to say goodbye to that it's you do yeah. have to kind of say goodbye to that time of life and it's not it's not easy to recognize that you're in a different place now and that some of those things will never happen again and that some of those experiences won't ever feel the same again. Um, so maybe it was a little uh, slow in coming for that reason too. But ever since I moved here and uh, my life shifted so much, like I feel even the way I sing changed everything. I feel like I almost had to relearn how to sing and how to play and in this new way. And because my own identity, my own sense of myself changed so radically that it's only natural that uh, the output of my music would change that way too. Yeah, it's cool to see how, as your life changed dramatically, your music also changed dramatically as well. It's cool to see that parallel. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe if I made move to like Norway, I would have uh, like you know been like now, now is the black metal phase of my life <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. I don't, I don't know. It's, but it's, it's not as. I don't want to make it sound like it was a decision because it wasn't intellectual. Yeah. And very little of what I ever do is like 
thought out in advance. You know, it's like it's very it's a much more intuitive and, and natural yeah. to sort of the reality change, and so you know, it's like the the ingredients changed, and so the 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 recipe changed, and the 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 flavor of the 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 pizza changed or whatever. You know, it's, you're just like you have different toppings, and so of course you're going to have a different flavor. Um, so. Um, that's my New Jersey pizza metaphor for, for artistry, I suppose. <laughs> Love a good pizza metaphor. Yeah, so something I was curious about is the sound of the natural, very uh, folk singer songwriter in the vein of like Dylan and Neil Young. Is it the type of sound that you have always appreciated and maybe wrote songs on the side separate from the pains of being pure at heart or is this really something that once you decided that project was over and now you're entering this new phase of your life you began to really start to explore i think that's a good question there certainly like my mom loved there's a lot of like folk folk rock stuff in my childhood that my mom loved and that i wasn't always ready for you know i was always i felt very connected to the music of Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Even when I was a teenager, I felt there was something very resonant about what he's saying about who he was. My voice is like two octaves higher than his. But other than that, I I found something really resonant in his music at a young age and I always loved him. But Dylan was something different where I think Dylan has done a disservice by his own, his own greatness kind of inhibits people from understanding what really makes him great. He's just, he's known as the great man and 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 his biographers and his, there's a sort of this community of like old gray hair fellows that'll tell you why he's a great man and and it sort of gets in the way of appreciating his music for what it is because when you actually listen to Dylan or at least the Dylan I was listening to like I I don't know there's like there's so much irreverence and playfulness and wit and and it's not serious or it's not heavy handed all cap serious the way yeah. that his legacy is sometimes handled. Um, like the Nobel Peace Prize or like the Poet Lord. I mean, it's like, of course, it's like he's deserving of all of those accolades, but sometimes it inhibits the vit- you understanding him as a vital like kid that was like, like 22 years old writing songs that were like funny to him and sort of like sometimes mean and sometimes clever and sometimes strangely compassionate. And I think until I really listened to his music and got past like what it was supposed to mean, like, I wasn't able to fully appreciate it. And I, I, I owe a lot to Prince and Record Exchange. I, I, I found this, what I thought was like super rare bootleg. It was just this white sleeve with some like photocopied um, album art that it was like Bob Dylan live. And, you know, I took it home and it was, um, what it actually turned, this vinyl pressing, you know, it was like, I was like, oh yeah, this like, this bootleg Dylan concert. And I was like listening to it a lot at home, but really all it was was just um, a pressing of the 1966 live at Royal Albert Music Hall the electric side of the record yeah that concert that actually was in manchester at like the working men's club or like the, the free ma- free manchester it's like it's a concert that's like called the royal albert but it's like actually from another city on that tour in, in up in manchester so i listened to that a bunch and it was just so loose and fun and, and you know i was i was writing songs sort of and the other strand of it was i was writing songs and my mom came over and was like hey that song kind of reminds me or what you're doing kind of reminds me a bit of richard thompson and I don't think I oh, really, wow. yeah. I, I didn't really, no, I don't play guitar like Richard Thompson. It wasn't like I'm like a, I, he's like Jimi Hendrix. He's like the yeah. the same level of savant in that regard. But like, I, there's something about it that she just said reminded her of that. And I was, 
but I didn't know who Richard Thompson really was or or, or, or Fairport Convention. I never understood how their music or I just wasn't that familiar. I, I sort of might have assumed that like Fairport was like some hippie band from the 60s or because of their name and that yeah. they were associated with English folk. I just sort of thought it would be like, I don't know, what was that uh, Christopher Guest movie about like, uh, folk, there was like, the guy that made Spinal Tap also made one that was like a mighty wind or something. I kind of yes, assumed, yes, yes. I assumed it was sort of like a very like flowery, like whimsical kind of thing. And when I went back and listened to not just Richard Thompson's solo work, but like what he was doing in Fairport, I was just absolutely blown away. Like, why wasn't this considered on the level of what anyone was doing in that era? It was just like so inventive, so moving emotionally and and, be- and the arrangements were so cool how it sort of like blended this traditional English folk with like really cool progressive guitar, electric music, but it wasn't like this proggy wank fest yeah. either. It was like, yeah. it was like, which it was can like get sort of the, grading. Yeah, for sure. Which yeah. I mean, maybe later on, like in the late 70s, like, I'm sure like at some point, like some of those later records got into um, maybe some of that territory, but I, I don't know. It was like, it was like really cool. And I, I started listening to like Albion Band, which was like, I think the bassist of Fairport. And he did that record with uh, Shirley Collins called No Roses, which was really cool. And, I just like watched a lot of YouTube, like of, <laughs> of, of, of like, like stuff like that, of like old performances or bits of documentaries, and and, and I just got really enamored with uh, that, and also like Neil Young and uh, Neil, the, and the Neil Young thing came to the record. I think the guy that produced it, Andy Savers, who also worked with me on Old Pain's records, and like he 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 does a lot of music that sounds different. He's not like some yeah. Uh, he he did the black. Uh, Black Country New Road record recently. He's like a, a really cool, diverse, like thoughtful music producer. And he's just like my friend at this point, a, a real friend beyond music. Uh, he was really into the Tonight's the Night Neil Young record and how that was essentially a live recording, but a studio record at the same time. And it was just sort of the guys went in and banged out a bunch of songs and, and they're great players. So it sounds great, but it wasn't like fussed over or like, now we're going to just record the drums and then we're going to record the bass and then we're going to re-record the bass. If it wasn't right, it was just performance. And uh, so he thought that that would be a cool kind of the kind of approach we should try where we just get in a room, take these songs and play them the best we can and push record. And that's the record. And uh, it was, uh, that's a, kind of a long answer to whether like I had been aware of like some of the strains that made have influenced this music before beforehand I guess yeah, some of it but a lot of it I came to know with a fresh mind uh at, at this stage of my life yeah and I did want to ask you about working with Andy Savers who you worked with before and I think you sort of answered it but I'm still curious about your perspective on this you, you had said I guess the decision to move on from the sound of the pains of being pure at heart to this more folk oriented sound wasn't a super conscious decision it was kind of more natural so i was wondering why you decided to go back to working with him again even though you kind of had moved on to a record or making a record that sounds way different than the work you did with him um with the pains of being pure at heart. <laughs> I think he was I think he was sick of making shoegaze records too. <laughs> he did one with my he did one with my buddy Valentine. I think that's like once you've yeah, done yeah. one with like Kevin Shields, you're like, I'm done. I'm good. Done. Let's yeah. do something else now. <laughs> no, no. I honestly it was it wasn't this record. It was um I did an EP a couple years ago. Yeah. Called, great EP. Uh, 
uh, it was just like f- four songs and it, it came about largely, okay, so it was like the last sort of Pains tour for our album, The Echo of Pleasure, and I was finishing in London. And I had like an extra day there before going back home, uh, my flight back home. And I told him, oh, I've got some new songs. Maybe, maybe we can like do some demos or something like that. Because he had a little studio space over there. And he's like, yeah, just come down uh, and we'll record your songs. And then when I got there, he's like, cool. So this is what we're going to do. There's a guitar. There's a microphone. Play your song and sing it. And I'll push record. And I was like, wait, don't we have to like maybe like get the tempo right or figure out like like how we're going to do it? Or maybe we can get like my friend to play some drums while we do it or something. He's like, no, just play your song and I'll push record. And and, and he gave me an like and, and that experience, like we did like four songs in the afternoon. And then we like went down to the pub and had like a couple of pints and had a nice time, you know, as you do. And uh, that experience gave me a totally different kind of confidence that music didn't have to be done the way I'd been doing it up to that point, And that there's a lot of different ways of creating music that's quote unquote, like legitimate. And it doesn't have to be like, Oh, now we have to like do a keyboard overdub and then like get some backing yeah. vocals and like all, all this stuff to like sort of professionalize the song. Or I, I mean, this is the thing with pains is with pains. I always wanted to make records that were better than we were, you know, like striving for some ideal that was beyond our ability to do it. And I think you heard that a lot especially in the like maybe in belong like we are really going for it and we weren't even good enough to make a record like that but we did it anyway and it was kind of cool how it it blended these aspects of sort of world conquering stadium alt rock 90s arena smashing pumpkins weezer pixie you yeah. know these these huge ideas with our own kind of limitations at that point and that there was still this sense of you know these guys are, it somehow seemed more sympathetic because of our inability to totally pull it off. You know, like, or it was like something like if we actually were as good as the Smashing Pumpkins, it wouldn't be interesting to simply step in that same river twice. But because we were coming from a totally different background and sort of attempting to make this like iconic art, but from the wrong perspective or from a different perspective or from not really knowing how to do it the right way, it, it turned out some way different. Um, so, like, with Pains, there was always this sense of having to be better or wanting to be better than we really were. And, and sort of in the space in between the ideal and what we were, something new was created. And with The Natural, it was just so much the opposite. It was just what I am was enough. Like, yeah. even if it is just me with an amplifier and a guitar and a microphone, that's enough. And that's that's real music, too. And I And for a long time, I think I had a lot of insecurities with Pains and a lot of sense that we were never good enough or we were never, or we weren't, we were letting people down or like there was these bands that inspired us that never got to do half the stuff we did. And we needed to take it really seriously and honor them by not like fucking around so much. But, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's like, there's always a sense of guilt that we were kind of, uh, I always say it's better to be overrated than underrated, but with that comes, you know, it's like, you'd rather be overrated. Right. But with that comes a sense that you have to like, be wor- like try your best to be worthy of this attention that you've been given and how- and you understand how rare that is. Um, and, you know, I think that was like growing up in the 90s too. Like that's like a hang up of people of my generation. Like I, I think kids today, like, are like if good things happen to them, they're like, yeah, I deserve yeah. it. Which is like <laughs> it's, probably, it's totally. it, that, that can be, an, I'm sure that can be annoying sometimes, but I think it's actually healthier where people aren't like, because you see how it destroyed people's lives in the 90s. Like 
what happened to Kurt Cobain, what happened yeah. to Elliot Smith. What, I mean, what I love about Hole, what I love about Courtney Love is she was the only person that didn't feel undeserving of her success. Yeah. She's like, she's like, I want to be the girl with the most cake and I want to yeah. eat it too. Like yeah. it was like, she was like, she actually was the one person who wasn't complaining about, oh, being a rock star is actually hard and not what I was set out to do. She was like, embraced it. And I yeah. know she has a lot of things that aren't I, like things to be held up as like great about her but like that aspect of her being the one person that was like hey guys actually this is really fun like i'm gonna like drink and smoke and curse and like flash people and have a good time being a being a fucking rock star while you guys are all crying about your like pro jam like can't go on tour because they're like, at war with like an authentic like ticket reselling process which is yeah. like and that's all noble and that's all good and it's like and in many ways it's like i relate more to the hang-ups of kurt Co- kurt or like like Pro Jam or like those artists that didn't feel like wholly deserving of the attention they were getting. But at the same time, it's, I don't know. Like, I think the dynamic has shifted enough that like young artists today now feel if they do get attention, um, they're, they're worthy of it. And it doesn't just destroy them. They don't become neurotic about it in the same way that maybe, maybe I did. Um, so. Yeah. And you mentioned how recording, your EP, Know Me More, with Andy seemed to be really influential on the direction that this project went in thereafter. Um, I love that debut EP. It's really intimate, raw, powerful. But most of the tracks on Tethers now are, are more filled out. There's basically all of them except for New Moon and... A couple of other moments on the record are a little more stripped down. So when you originally wrote the songs for Tethers, were you considering keeping them in the vein of Know Me More sound-wise and then decided you kind of wanted to round out the sound? Or was that something that you knew from the very beginning that you wanted to kind of make this record have a more fuller sound? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's hard for me to totally remember what <laughs> I thought when, because honestly, yeah. I, I, I mean, you can either say this album took a long time to make or not very long time to make. It was like recorded in about like a week, but yeah. that week took three years. You know what I'm saying? So it was a record yeah. made in seven days over three years yeah. or, or that took at least three years to get out, you know? So I'm, I'm going back in time a lot. It's brand new, obviously, to the people hearing it, but it, I'm kind of going back in time trying to place the mindset and kind of reimagine where I was. I think one of the concerns, not concerns, like what I really wanted to do with The Natural is I didn't want there to be a discon- disconnect in terms of how the music was performed with how it was recorded. That, or, or that if I were to stand on stage by myself and play a set, that that would be just yeah. as good as a full band set. I, I really felt that with Pains, it would have been a lesser thing if I just did a solo show and it was yeah. like, Kip plays the songs of the Pains of being peered hard and you'd stand there and be like, man, I wish the full band was here. Like, I, I this isn't as, I'm not saying as good, whatever, but I, it, it would be a lesser yeah. version of that music if I was just playing it by myself on guitar in front of people. And with The Natural, I really wanted that sense that at its core, these songs made just as much sense and were just as compelling and just as powerful, even if it's just me playing them on stage by myself. And then if you want to reformulate them around an electric rock and roll band, that gives a different dimension to the music, but yeah. not not inherently better or worse. Because I think, and a lot of that decision was, it was artistic, but 
It was also a sense that I felt pains had been crippled by a need to present itself as a five-person rock band yeah. with the right kind of equipment and all the logistics that goes into getting five people in a van to go anywhere limited the amount of things that we could say yes to and the kind of experiences that we'd ultimately have because a lot of cool experiences are like, yo, do you want to play this awesome thing? But it, in order, there's not like room for five people to do it or like we don't have a place for them to sleep or like we we don't have that much sound equipment or um, or just like the, the, the logistics of getting five people anywhere. Like whether, like if someone's like, Hey, do you want to play this show in a fjord in Norway? Um, but we, but it's like, you want to yeah. say yes. But then when you like, look what it costs to fly five people to Norway to play in a fjord, it's like, there's like, but you can't do it. And I wanted to never have to say no to anything. I, yeah. I wanted to be able to say yes to everything. And that me with a guitar singing is the show. And it could be just as good uh, in that way or in, and I love, or in a full rock and roll way. And because yeah. I, I love rock and roll. And I think that's what another thing Andy Savers and I had in common when we were recording is that we, you know, he, he makes a lot of cool records and he works with a lot of cool um, independent artists and cooler than me. I mean, that Black Country New Road record is, is really cool. He's done stuff with like MBV and like Gold Frap and like weird stuff, like weirder projects too and but we all kind of had like a this sense of rock and roll kind of everyone uses rock and roll as this straw man argument about like what not to be uh but i don't think rock and roll is inherently bad in fact there's a lot of a lot of my favorite music is rock and roll and i think rock and roll at its best can be liberating and freeing and um in a moment and tardic and and visceral and and all of these great things and it doesn't have to be, come with the baggage of like Led Zeppelin and like the attitudes of a certain era and a certain group of people and a kind of exclusion or saying only the like, certain like dude standing against a wall looking serious can make real rock and roll like there's there's a lot of things wrong that people reject rock and roll but it's almost like you can't hold actual rock and roll in its purest sense responsible for all the sort of wrongful interpretations of yeah. of it over time. So I think we always kind of had this sense of rock and roll being the guy down at the end of the bar, like having a, a kind of a drink, keeping its head, his head down or whatever, like, or her head down, like not trying to bother anyone. It's like, oh, kind of like looking down there being like, hey, rock and roll, you're actually all right. You're all right. You didn't, you didn't mean to be Led Zeppelin, did you? You didn't mean to be like uh, something where you had to like be like from a certain background. No, like you're yeah. still like, like on some level, you like you just want to you just want to rock, man. That's all that's all rock and roll cares about is rocking. So uh, and, I, and I love and I think when you're talking about my music and you're saying a singer songwriter, it's sort of whatever, like all the descriptors of what uh you would expect from a like a, a quote unquote solo record by a person who just became a father uh, would bore me if I heard it about someone else. You're like, hey, do you want to listen to some meditative music by a middle aged man who just became a father and moved to New Jersey? I'd be like, no, I don't want to like, I don't want to listen to some to that. Like, or if I, I actually I might, but like, <laughs> there's something that's like, um, I still believe in rock and roll, and I believe that there's a, a visceral idea, ideal in music that isn't that different from Payne's either. Like, I think Payne's music was interesting in indie pop for just that same reason. Like, we 
we were kind of anti bedsit tweet indie. Like we were like, we had a song called "This Love Is Fucking Right," not "This yeah. Love Is Not Wrong." Yeah. You know, it's like it's like with exclamation point. You know, it's like that. That was kind of our attitude to take this music that was very inward looking and make it and remind people that it could also be cathartic and it could be like the Jesus and Mary Chain and it could be like Meat Whiplash or like all, all or even like early pastels or like all, all these bands that really didn't shy away from the body and didn't shy away from sex and and dirt and like all the and, and noise and sweat you know that these things could still be part of that world too and so to that extent i i i still respond to to rock and roll uh, or uh, bringing even like in even if it is like you know singer songwriter music i still kind of want to hit the guitar hard and make a lot of noise and have fun with my friends doing it too sometimes so uh uh i've long lost what the actual question was but um it was something about rock and roll i think yeah totally <laughs> and but i really like how this record rocks at certain points and there's really uplifting moments where your voice really gets powerful and the organ really kicks in oh, hard Kyle so it's cool Carl, Kyle Forrester is the man and all the touches of organ on this record are really great yeah he, he's like he's, he's such a I mean he really I mean he brought it all together like I mean I, I we used to share a practice space with Crystal Stilts and he and we'd play some shows with Crystal Stilts too and most of the people in Crystal Stilts were a little like hard to talk to because they were really cool but Kyle was always <laughs> easy to talk to because he was like me and like chatting a lot he's, you know he's like he's not like he's a uh, funny guy yeah he's not like it's not like he's bob dylan you know he's like he's like hey i'll uh i'll be happy to chat about like obscure details about like neil young's tours in 1974 or whatever as much as you want to so he's he's a lovely fellow and um i'm i'm so grateful that he do you remember that movie that thing you do where they have wolfman at the oh, end yeah. and it's like hey do you think you can play our song and then wolfman is like clearly can play circles around their song yeah because he's like so much better than like the, he's like yeah i can play your song like kyle is like that we're like so we're kind of going for like you know a little late 60s like doing like blonde on blonde but with like my little touch of like and he's like yeah i think i can do that and he's like just like whips yeah. it out i'm like <laughs> one take it's like oh yeah you're you know you know more about what we're doing than we do like yeah it's like it's something where uh we were kind of like at his we're like, yeah, just do whatever you want to do, man. You, you clearly know better than any kind of uh, direction we could give. Yeah, he's great. And he is awesome on this record. So what I really, really like about the record thematically, too, is you kind of described it as, you know, if you heard a record about a middle-aged man talking about becoming a father, you wouldn't be interested in listening to it. But this record, I feel like, is way more than that you're really reflecting on past experiences putting them in perspective it's really a record of transition i i that i hear not so much of a little bit of the here and now but also thinking back putting those experiences in perspective about how life changes as you get older not just of you but of the people around you too which i also thought was a really nice nice touch um, were you feeling ambivalent about those changes when you wrote these songs? And what was your mindset as you were reflecting on these life changes that were happening to you and, and those around you as well? You know, that, that's a good question, Tom. Like, I think you picked up on it a lot that this album is about transitions and the way life changes. But the only way I could see 
my own life changing is by looking at the lives of the people Others, around yeah. me. And it's, and it's not to say that I'm not in case. I'm not saying I'm incapable of like introspection, but for whatever reason, this project made sense after the record was done or the songs were written. I, I kind of understood what they were about more than when I was making it. I get at by seeing other people and how their lives were untethered and when my life was becoming solidified and sort of was that contrast really kind of made sense after I wrote these songs. Like I'd be writing about someone else, but then I realized I was writing about myself as well uh, in relation to that other person. And um, I, I, I'd like to think this album isn't judgmental. I'd like to think, I, th- I think I'm a judgmental person. And I was strangely surprised when I was listening back to these songs, seeing how unjudgmental I was, how I was seeing other people have lives in a certain way and realizing my own life was different, but not, not really saying, oh, I wish I was free like them or, oh, yeah. I'm so glad I have like the solidity of, of, a, of a stable home life or something. It, it was, it was more just like, a curiosity or a, an observance without a, a judgment attached. I was like, well, that's different, but that's okay too. And my life is different than theirs and that's okay too. And um, maybe there is a push and pull of uh, desire for freedom, but also um, a desire for a certain kind of freedom that I no longer can access uh, in the same way. But at the same time, also, maybe I don't want to. Uh, also, uh, but there isn't there isn't even something that as profound as that going on. It's almost just more. This is what this is a friend I've had for a long time, and they're still living this way and having these kinds of this kind of life, and I'm having a different kind of life. It's just kind of interesting without it being prescriptive of like they shouldn't do that and I should do this or yeah. I wish I could do that but I can't. It, there isn't even that second level of. Um, of anguish attached to it so much, so much. I mean, in, in moments there are like, I, I mean, I mean, I guess we'll talk to it in like this, the second half. But like, one of the songs, uh, I, I met, I met someone in Brisbane, Australia once who I just kept in touch with, and now, um, just sort of in passing. And then she's, uh, I think she was from Brazil, was living in Brisbane, and now she's in Canada, and she has a band called Olivia's World, and. Uh, and just sort of stayed in touch through the years and her band's really cool, but just kind of thinking of that peripatetic lifestyle of sort of like this constant wandering, looking for um looking looking for home, traveling the world and that sort of constant wandering. And and I live in Princeton too, which has a lot of expats, like people that leave other places to come live here. And and just kind of thinking about what kind of person grows up in like southern Germany and decides that they want to spend their adult life in Princeton, New Jersey. And like what, there's just like a lot of stuff like that where you're like, you're seeing that, that, that motility of, of life around in the songs. And, um, but I I mean, there is, there is emotional consequence in some of it. I mean, like sun blisters and alone in London. It's not like, I'm just like, oh, I'm just an observer and I'm emotionally scot-free from these interactions. Like it's not, it's not so sanitized as that. I I don't think I'm just like, I'm this, uh, I I always, I don't know. There's like some people that are writers that are just like observers of human people, like as if they aren't one themselves. Like, I'm not that. It's like, it's messy. It's like there's exchanges of blood and fluid or whatever. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's more than just like, uh, a scientific examination of human sociability. It's, it's more just like, I'm kind of involved in it too, you know? Yeah. So tell me about the track, Sylvia, the cup of youth, because I think you alluded to 
what that was inspired by with your friend that was moving from Brisbane to... Oh, no, that's Runaway Jane. Runaway Jane. So, yeah, tell, <laughs> tell me. So, yeah, the company is, it's basically the same story, but it's kind of like a different person. <laughs> so tell me about tell me about those two tracks. That person's not I named love- Jane, by the way. It's just like sometimes you politely don't actually want to like use people's yeah, real names. Yeah, totally. And, because I make up half the shit, too. So it's like a little bit... It wouldn't be fair to that person to be like, and... Because half that shit isn't true, or isn't they'd be wouldn't see their life as an. Oh, so for Sylvia, the cup of youth. Um, yeah, I, I love know, the uh, mythical cup of youth. Uh, <laughs> the, reference. The, the, the Grail legend. Yeah, like, the Grail of a youth. Invocation yeah. of Galahad, the the painfully yeah. pure heart knight. Like yeah, there's 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 a, there's a few levels of that one. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, yeah, that was just uh, the story of someone I knew when I was. A, a while back now, I guess it was kind of when I was writing "Belong." It's sort of it's about the same person that uh, "Girl of a Thousand Dreams" was about, but it's just like so different. Um, yeah, and it, and it's, I was able to make sense, make so much more sense of this now than I maybe was at the time. But it was just someone I knew that we we were involved for a bit, and then we weren't. And you know, like it's someone who was always restarting their life, uh, moving and finding sort of like chasing that that initial spark of of romance not in, not in, not yeah. like emotion not like relationship romance but the romance of starting life anew and and sort of like her juxtaposition with my own life that wasn't starting anew but was becoming more um more st- solid but then not not necessarily like, like judging it as bad like i i, I think it would be too easy to be like well, everyone should, you know, find a stable relationship and, uh, you know, drive a Subaru or something like that. You know, yeah. it's not saying any of that. It's just kind of, it's almost, it's sort of admiring uh, someone that is always striving to find new life and new experiences and new uh, journeys, uh, even if I can't be on that myself. Yeah. New Moon, the second single, really intriguing track because it, you kind of put yourself in the perspective of an experience that wasn't a personal experience to you. It wasn't really your own experience. You essentially tried to imagine, I guess, the turning point of in a relationship of a friend of yours where she moved on from being with one person to another person who she ultimately uh, married. But it, it is, um, a, it's also, I mean, it, it could, but for the grace of God, there go I. Like, you know, it was about like a, a sort of, a person who was very together and wanted their partner who was a struggling musician to be more together as well and realizing that their relationship couldn't survive because he yeah. was always going to be the way he was and and but that's my story too i mean it's like I, my the fact that my um my wife hasn't figured out that i'm a, a total loser yet is surprising to me um like i'm like i'm, like, I'm not it's like it's like it, i was telling his story but like it, it was very resonant with so it was uh, very that, drawn on personal experience it's it's like a conversation i could have imagined having myself interesting yeah and and almost like almost having to tell someone i love that because i love them they shouldn't be with me um but uh but luckily um i don't know if it's because i sell a couple t-shirts on the internet sometimes and uh, (laughs) i can kind of like keep the semblance of uh of um my, my my mattress is on like a bed frame not on the floor right now so it's like with with enough of those things, you can kind of pass for um, not a total uh, waste of 
waste waste of waste of time. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I I know what you're saying. I, I just wanted to interject that the reason yeah. that that story was resonant isn't because I felt necessarily like oh this is an interesting dynamic uh, for this other person, but it was one that I had felt myself and that I've had like many long yeah. conversations with my partner about like what I'm supposed to do with my life and what I'm supposed to you know um, contribute to our family and and, and all, all that stuff aside from being a loving a loving dad and um, changing diapers and stuff like that that there's also like a, a you know it, it would be nice if I made a little bit of income at some point um, it's never been like a huge concern of, of mine but I can understand in the context of, of a family why why it's important to um, have so like it's, uh, have that so I, I think the new moon was like sort of seeing an experience that I could have had and I still might have uh in 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 another person and and the outcome was different but in my case fortunately um my my wife still loves me um in spite of my being a sort of struggling musician at times and and what about the decision to basically leave that song stripped down because that really adds an additional layer of feeling i i feel like i feel like it wouldn't be as resonant if It was more fleshed out. What went into that decision to kind of leave it as is just you and guitar? Well, I, I think it was, and also to put it second on the album. You know, I, I yeah, I have like really strong album sequencing ideas that sometimes are at odds with uh, other other people's album sequencing ideas. Like I, um, I really want to show the. I wanted to show the extremes of the project in its opening moment. I wanted to show sort of the alpha and the omega, like from the start, like I wanted to show like, why don't you come out anymore? Like we're doing yeah. this. It, it's big. It's, it's loud. It's rocking. And then I wanted to show yeah. a song that was the opposite of that. And, um, and I, and I, and I think it, it, the decisions to put those up front were just to say like, you know, you can either see me, play these songs with a loud rock and roll band or you might see me see me play these songs by myself on a guitar but there's still uh versions of the music in myself that i feel uh comfortable saying is the the real version the the fullest version of, of what i want to put out there um so that was a sequence i mean that that i think it's almost more the the sequencing decision is is even more uh meant to be not provocative but like share like something about this record more than the arrangement of the particular song. Uh, a- Andy yeah. Savers like al- always got mad at me because like Days of Abandoned starts with Art Smock and it was like almost like a fuck you to Belong or it was like almost like, if, <laughs> it was almost like, oh, you think we're going to make Belonger? Or you like, you like Belong? You like big, heavy guitars? Do you like like huge riffs? Do you like huge ambitions? Or, like re- And it's like, no, we're going to play fucking Coffee House open mic night music now. It's like, and that was like the idea was like that song was, it's like, this is a song that has like two chords. You can learn it playing with two fingers and you can play it at open mic night at your local like suburban coffee shop like when there's like poetry being read in between or whatever so uh uh so i i always think there's like a real significance to like opening tracks and the sequencing of albums i think with belong it was the same thing it was like oh you think we're a bunch of like cardigan clad like glaswegian loving Tweet pop bands. It's like here's fucking alternative nation in 1994 with like 87 guitars happening at the same time and um like it was like it was almost like a real like this is what you're gonna get and um 
And I, and even with like the first album, like Contender, like the fact that it was sort of taking stock of uh, like like the first Payne's record was like very like looking into the past of my life up to that point and trying to make sense of it. And that song was about like living in Portland and seeing the exploding hearts and seeing them as like awesome and then realizing that I myself was not nearly as awesome like in my own. Like, so it was like sort of like a describing a sort of musical history and like why I'm making this kind of music that I'm making now and what what it took to get there. Um, so yeah, like opening tracks um, or like the sequencing always kind of seems to me significant. I know, I know we live in an era where it's mostly single driven and people don't listen to albums in the same way or, or, or even sequence the songs they listen to in the same way. It's mostly people hear mixes or like computers like spit out algorithms of playlists and stuff. And I'm not like some old smoky going to tell you like, well, what's really important is like listening to an album from start to finish, side one, side two, <laughs> whatever. But it's important to me, at least. I don't expect it to be yeah, important to other absolutely. people. So it's something I care about. And it's something I try to put a little thought into when um, like album art and like sequencing are always like really important to me. Speaking of sequencing, we talked about the, the front end of the record where the first two songs seem to be stark in style and sound. What I like about the last track, Alone um, in London, is it kind of starts out sparse and reflective and then the sound expands half at the halfway mark. So I thought that was cool because it kind of really brings everything you hear on the record together to close out the record. So what was your thought process as far as putting that song at the end of the album well yeah i guess well, i guess what you're saying is like the album's it sort of bookends the album like the album starts loud yeah. and soft it sort of gives you that first six minutes of the album are kind of like that dynamic and then like that last song which is longer and why there is only nine yeah. songs in the album just because of vinyl length and stuff like that i never like want to make a double it's like there's a lot of considerations i really believe yeah. in I usually like 10 songs i think is a perfect album but if one of the songs is six minutes long that like counts as two so um why I put that on the album last. Um, it was probably the last song that I wrote for the album. And, uh, you know, it was like, I was, I don't know, before that, before I even recorded the album, I wanted to go, I had this idea of like playing like a, almost maybe even doing like a live album first or something, or like, I thought it would be, might be cool to just do a concert um, alone, uh, maybe in London. <laughs> and I thought, I, I thought I thought Alone in London would be like a good album title for a live album uh, that I did in London alone. Um, that sounds incredibly stupid, but like when I thought about what a, a song a, Alone in London would be, I usually don't write this way, but I was like, when I thought about Alone in London, it was really about that time in 2010 when I was in London making Belong. Um, and I, and the person I was seeing at the time and our relationship was sort of tumultuous and, um, limited because she lived in London and I lived in New York and nothing was really going to change that. And yeah. it was kind of a, it was like a strange period, but you know, when you're like reflecting on something, you have a, a way of excusing yourself sometimes, or yeah. you, you, when you tell your own story, it's, it's always sympathetic to yourself. And so I, I kind of wanted to tell that story. Uh, in the terms I saw it, but then at the end, kind of reveal like what the story really was. Yeah, kind of like that book Atonement, where you're like reading this story and 
the author writes to sort of exonerate her culpability in it. And then uh, at the end, you realize what she had actually done or like what the where the fault really lied. And I I think that was clear that song. And for those that haven't heard it yet, it's like the refrain of the song is like, you never called me mine. It's like this sort of typical, like unrequited love song where it's like you feel sympathy for the narrator because, you know, all these things happen. But like this person never requited the feelings. But the truth was, I never requited the feelings in the right way. And that. I wanted to reveal that at the end. Um, so that was, and, th- and and that kind of a song, you can't, that has to be the last song in the album. It has to, it really does make sense of this time since um, my previous band and like the previous experiences. It kind of, and it's, it's as important to the album as Why Don't You Come Out Anymore. Right? I think Why yeah. Don't You Come Out Anymore kind of speaks to, I mean, people will read it now is like oh it's like it's covid like we don't come out anymore but it's, it wasn't that it was about yeah. it's about the changes in life and why people don't uh you don't see them as much and why and, and different reasons like they either have the debt the they either have to do chores or they're dead um you know it's like <laughs> luckily when you're dead you don't have to do the dishes anymore yeah. that's kind of like the nice thing when you're just that's, the, a, that's the benefit when you're, when you're just like a, a an urn of ashes like people expect yeah. a lot less of you um, but <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess that's kind of how the Alone in London song uh, came about, and uh, the arrangement was also. I think originally the demo I made of it was just all sparse. It was just all like, like how the song starts. It was like just six minutes of uh, me with a guitar singing that song, yeah. and that and that can be powerful and moving too. But um, when we were recording it, Andy kind of suggested this idea of like bringing in a full arrangement yeah. around halfway through. And I think that helps a lot because listening to six minutes of the same thing, um, no matter how brilliantly written it might be, it gets kind of boring, you know? <laughs> so it's like, there's not a, lot, not a lot of, like, usually, like, there's a reason why songs are, like, three minutes, not six. So um, it almost becomes a different song, and it allows, like, the reason, its its length becomes less of a problem because it does become, it does transform uh, about halfway yeah, through. Yeah, great, great song and a great way to end this awesome record. Since you mentioned it, I did want to ask, since you mentioned that cover art is also important to you, the cover art on this album is really beautiful. It's a portrait of you and kind of looks like a stained glass style almost. Tell me a little bit about who did the cover art and what, what you were going for with it. Well, uh, the, the artist is uh, Jess Chriselle Rojas, and she was the keyboardist for the Pains. Um, I think from about 2014 to like the end of the, like the last two albums, she was like the person that played keyboard and sang, uh, like backing vocals live. And she, at the time had been dating, uh, Christoph Hochheim, who was the guitarist of Pains and his twin brother sometimes played drums with Pains. So she's someone I've known for ages. Uh, and she's wonderful. And she's an incredible artist. She's actually working a lot in, She's taught herself how to make neon art, like neon glass bending and like the wow. the artistry of it. And she's like really, and like, but her, her other art, her drawings and stuff were really cool too. And I, I just asked her, you know, I, I need some cover art. Can you, can you draw me, uh, you know, playing guitar or whatever it is. And, and she came up with, with that. And I thought it was an incredible work, but like, she's as, as cool as a bandmate as she was and as good a musician. Um, she's actually an incredible uh, 
self-taught artist who has a real a real work i mean she'd be always like on tour she'd be like drawing all the time like and making making drawings and uh she did this lovely portrait of jacob our bass player like and I, I there's just like I've, I've seen a lot of her work and she keeps um changing and developing and um and and her new work working with neon is cool and i think she just moved to uh brooklyn from los angeles and um yeah i i i I feel very lucky that I know someone as talented as her that could uh, make the album look the way it did. It's beautiful cover art for sure. And it's so funny. It looks like I'm left-handed playing the guitar. That's like you look at it. <laughs> and I, but I was like thinking about it. It's almost like a, a mirror, right? Like that, that's, like, yeah. that's like the vision of myself that I could, the only vision of myself I could see of myself or something. It, was, it is something about like reflection too. Because like, I'm not yeah. left-handed, but like it's, that would be how I would look if I looked into a mirror playing guitar. Really, I, so cool. I thought there was something about yeah. like, I was like, yeah, Jess, like you know, I'm not left-handed, but you're like thinking about like reflection or like how you perceive yourself. So I'm sure someone can like take a bong rip and explain <laughs> it more fuller to me. But like, I think there is something like another level of like how that artistry is is uh, portrayed to, it. and it has it has a little like it has a little like Joni Mitchell like Ladies of the Canyon like kind of. Yeah. To, to, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I did so, I this new song. I was trying to work work the lyric "Dudes of the Canyon" into it, but like it's, you can't like get "Dudes of the Canyon" as a, like I was like I was like, um, but yeah, it was like describe your music. It's like it's like kind of like you know, ladies of the canyon, but dudes of dudes. the canyon, dude, <laughs> dude of the canyon. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, All right. Well, now we're gonna play a couple of songs. From Kip's brand new record, As The Natural, we're going to hear the first track, Why Don't You Come Out Anymore, and Sylvia, The Cup of Youth. Hey, if you want this record, you can get it at The Natural. That's T-H-E-N-A-T-V-R-A-L.com. It's available on Blue Vinyl.
All right, we are back. We just heard two songs from The Natural's brand new record, Tethers. We heard the leadoff track, Why Don't You Come Out Anymore, and followed that up with Sylvia, The Cup of Youth. Hey, if you want a copy of this record, it's out now via K9 Records, and you could get it via the natural with a v.com if you're in europe it's also available via dirty bingo records or you can go to the natural.bandcamp.com to get a digital copy now we're gonna play some records that kip picked from my record collection starting with olivia's world so rose melberg plays in Yes. So Olivia's World, right? Yeah. I was a big Softies fan when I was in oh, uh, man. Portland. Me too. Amazing. And Tiger Trap is also uh, incredible. That short-lived uh, twee indie pop project that Rose Melberg was also in. They put out like one record and an EP. It's confusing because so. like Amelia Fletcher had like Tender Trap. Uh, yes. And then there was this weird like sync they had a song in a movie and like they played some festivals. There was a band called Temper Trap, but it was like, yeah. it was like, wait, oh, T- Tender Trap is playing this festival. That's awesome. But it was like some totally different thing. And it was like, so there's a lot of trap bands that can get you trapped. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you picked Blotter off of Olivia's World uh, 2019 self-titled EP. Rose Melberg is a drummer, but you also know another member of that project, which is cool, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's so funny. Uh, I met uh, the other member of the project um, in Brisbane, Australia in like 2012 or maybe even earlier. Maybe it was 2011 or 2010 uh, at, at a pain show in Brisbane. And I just remember that night was just so weird. Uh, like we, we got into a cab. Like someone yelled something racist at the cab driver. The cab <laughs> crashed. The drunk woman tried Whoa. to. A drunk woman tried to. Like the cab driver got off out and like this drunk woman tried to get in the cab and drive the cab away with us still in it, like while eating a hamburger. Um, <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was like one of those nights. But I uh, met Alice uh, from Olivia's World, and yep, she was cool. And uh, we just stayed in touch over the years. And she eventually moved to uh, Vancouver, BC, um, where I saw her again. Like, we played a show in Vancouver. And she was friends with this band, The Courtney's, that we were touring with. Great band. I love The Courtney's. So I really liked them. And, like, I, I had no idea, like, she was buds with them. And, like, she was just, like, at the show. Like, it's like one of the things was like, don't you live in Australia? She's like, I live here now. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I'm buds with The Courtney's. So it was like damn that's cool i like i like that i like them a lot and uh and so she started a, a band with rose melberg who was from the softies who i um really loved i used to live in portland oregon and i got to see them play house shows and stuff and i just thought wow they were it's incredible perfect jen spragia and and rose I, I they were kind of like larger than life you know when you're super young even like slightly people that might be a year or two older seem like really advanced i felt that way about dear nora like i got to see them play a lot in Portland too and I was just always super intimidated by uh, Katie um, and but they would always be like really 
nice to me, even you know, they were like just like two years older, but I was very much like, oh my god, there's Katie Davidson from Dear Nora. And <laughs> and they would just be like, yo, what's up? Uh, thanks for bringing us some beer or whatever. You know, it's like <laughs> I like booked them to play at the ping pong room at my college and stuff. Uh, but yeah, the softies were great. So I'm so excited to see Alice making music with this new project. And she seems like she's a really cool visual artist too. Like her drawings are are cool. And I think they do a lot of the, she. Uh, Alice does a lot of the album art for Ovia's World and um, they did an EP and I think they have like an, an, another EP that just kind of came out too but I picked a, one of the older songs Blotter so um, yeah check out Olivia's World they're cool up crystal stilts prismatic room off of 2008's a light of night i loved this band a, a band when i hear them too takes me back to that time late aughts liking music and stuff and <laughs> I, <laughs> that era of liking music i hope the era of liking music is i not. still like music but <laughs> mp3 blogs I, are, are we talking about the great era of the mp3 blog yes yes and um the other thing that my story about Crystal Stilts always been a huge fan. I remember I saw them open for Guided by Voices on their reunion tour at Irving Plaza, and it seemed like a weird pairing, but I enjoyed both sets very much. <laughs> you it's know like that, that beer swigging Bob Pollard with kind of these like, you know, gothy post punk, you know, sound that they really do so very well but it felt like they were in real stark contrast well, which is I, fun i loved crystal stills in fact they were one of they put out their record on slumberland before we did and they were one of the yeah. bands that really inspired us and they got to go on tour a little bit and they, we, they'd come back to new york and tell us about it and we were always pretty like jealous in a cool way like wow that's yeah. awesome we want to do that too um and so and we shared a practice space with them like frank that's when frankie rose was in the band and uh playing drums and i i've really i don't know how to describe them for people but if you imagine the coolest new york party and you're walking in the room and yeah. there was a band playing it would be them like be them they i were, totally agree they, they were like, is cool yeah yeah go ahead no they, they they were like legitimately cool and i know uh it's, it's it's hard to explain like that uh that that quality because they're they're nice like brad um is deep and mysterious singer but he's like if you talk to him he's actually kind of uh goofy tennis prodigy from florida on some level like i think <laughs> i mean I, I, I had no idea that so I, think, I think there's like some like there's like some lineage of the fact that he was like he's kind of tall and I, I guess he played some tennis growing up that he was and he was pretty good um they don't want to spoil the mystique too much but uh but he was awesome and like we'd see him at cake shop a lot and i, I just love that um early ep they did um i just I, even even my wife loves them like she doesn't most of the music that i i, I play around she doesn't really perk her ears up too much but when one of crystal stilts come out she on she's like now this is actually good and whenever there's like an artist that she stops and is like i like this like it's usually she does like perfect it's like It'll be like either Orange Juice, Crystal Stilts, Dear Nora, or like Le Rallyze's Day Nude. Like, we'll like perk her attention. She'll be like, what's this again? I'm like, uh, Le Rallyze's Day Nude. She's like, this is cool. 
but like she, she's not like super up on like every dumb post-punk band that I listen to. You know? So it's like, but Crystal Stilts was always like kind of her favorite too. And we got to see them together, like, you know, at Glasslands and when that was open and, you know, Cake Shop back in the day. And um, they were just uh, so good. And I also want to say like their keyboardist, uh, Kyle, like played on my new record. And yeah, he's Kyle Forrester. Kyle I'm Forrester. Huge Kyle Forrester fan. His solo work is so good too. I have both of the records that he put out and I've seen him play his solo stuff live before too and can't say enough great things about him and his work on your record is also really awesome as well i'm always a little bit you know i, I don't know what it is i'm always like surprised like people want to play music with me sometimes i was like when kyle and asked kyle about it he was like so excited and i was like kind of flattered that he thought like my music was like something he wanted to be part of too so um yeah kyle was amazing but yeah crystal stilts like a. Uh, I really thought they were like kind of the, the the coolest band. Like there was like a couple kinds of cool. Like I thought Vivian Girls was like the most authentically like punk cool, rock yeah. cool band too. Like I always thought they had like a real legitimacy. Um, them and Crystal Stilts were probably though my two favorites of that of that of that moment. I mean I love I love I like the drums too and Titus Andronicus I, I really liked and we had some like funny stories with them too. Um, and I think Patrick is a really incredible lyricist and and writer uh but um but yeah crystal stilts and vivian girls in terms of that brooklyn moment that we were a part of in my old band like they were kind of the two that stood out the most great moment in time for sure that i remember fond Next, Ambulance Blues by Neil Young off of On the Beach. So I was talking with someone recently how I really only got into this record like a year ago. My parents were big Neil Young fans, always had um, After the Gold Rush around Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, but somehow never really heard this record until more recently but it's a really incredible record, a new direction for him too, while still holding on to, I think what made him such a great songwriter on albums like After the Gold Rush and things like that. But I think now this is my favorite Neil Young record. Is this the one where like Walk On is the first song? It's like- Yes. Yeah, 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 that's that's cool. Um, yeah, this one's, this one's great. Like, you know, the one that, the one that got referenced a lot when we were making the record, our record was uh, Tonight's the Night which is a, a sort of darker, uh, kind of more claustrophobic feeling record uh, that was mostly live. Um, but this one, I just, I, you know, I, I picked Ambulance Blues just because there's like one line in it. It's like, where it's like, you can get lost in the past trying to make a good thing last. And I thought that way about like, you know, pains, like you can really um, kind of, like there are, there are, there is a kind of artist that's content to, um, you know, celebrate anniversaries and do yeah. reunion tours on key records and sort of become sort of the caretaker or the tour guide at their own museum and sort of like sort of be sort of president of their own fan club in a way, uh, which I th which I think is lovely. And there's like a lot of artists that I admire that are very great at sort of um, being the caretaker of their own legacy. 
but I, I'm not that, I'm not really that way myself. I'm always happy to talk to people about my old band and stuff like that, but I don't want to be, I don't want to devote my life to pre- trying to preserve this like one magical yeah. moment in 2009 or 2011 or whatever. Um, I, I kind of didn't want to get stuck in that. Uh, yeah. So I thought that line in this song always kind of resonated with me about that feeling. And I thought it kind of just summed up my point of view pretty well, yeah, even if it was someone else's point of view before yeah. mine. You know? But yeah, this record's great. I, I don't know the story about it too much. I think it was something where he had like, Submitted some other record that wasn't as commercial and or maybe he like canceled his own record. Like he had some other thing recorded. He's like, no, I'm not going to put that out. And the label's like, what are you going to put out? He's like, uh, I don't know. How about this? And he had like, some <laughs> other songs. Like he was like, he wrote so much and he was so productive that he like this album, which is a classic record, was like his like, you know, how about I just how about these 10 songs or whatever? And it's like a great record. But yeah, there's something like where he would write records that were sometimes more or less commercial and like his label would have views on that and then they'd get into a thing. But his 80s stuff is, I've only recently started like kind of approaching. Yeah, I got to get into it. Like yeah. Trans, that album, which is like my buddy Danny, my best friend was telling me about it, how he used the vocoder on that album because he had like a uh, a son who was, I think, autistic and he, f- he wanted to sort of get into the headspace of his son and make a mu- an album about communicating with his son and like the limitations of speech. And I thought that was like, I mean, it's a really weird record that doesn't sound anything like you think Neil Young sounds like, because it's very, it's like a vocoder, like 80s sounding record. And it's strange sounding, but like hearing the story about why it sounds like that and the choices that he made um, about like, you know, like trying to, you know, sort of like find a language to communicate yeah. with his son. I, I thought that was really moving and, and interesting. And, and it's, and you know, I can say all I want about like this record sounds different than like my last record, but when he got into the '80s, he really transformed his sound in ways that were almost unrecognizable as a Neil Young yeah. record. And 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 obviously, you go on all music and like they'll like get one star reviews, but I think they're actually, I think that that they'll be remembered differently and understood differently over time. And it's not just like, whoa, this doesn't sound like uh, Heart of Gold. This must be bad. It was like a really experimental kind of gesture from an from an artist that didn't have to be like, it was like, it was like a real sign, a real sign of a sort of artistic searching, even at an age where most artists are kind of content to just like bang out another record and go on tour that sounded like the one before and kind of live off that kind of comfort. Uh, He seemed to challenge himself and put himself in positions of uh, unease uh, to find new ways to create. And And I think that's a lot of the way that Neil Young has remained relevant and like was, seen as uh important to like even like the first generation of punks like i think a lot of them thought neil young was cool yeah and and the and then in the grunge era like those artists like really thought neil young was cool too because there's something about him that resonated that was like really <laughs> long one note guitar solos on cinnamon girl like there's a lot of stuff you listen to like that and you're like shit this isn't that different than like what's yeah. happening in the early 90s like alternative rock scene and like you can see how for someone that is an icon, he was also kind of an iconoclast. So I think yeah, that's and cool. he appreciated them too. I know he Sonic Youth toured with him in the '90s and stuff like that. So it's cool to see him also enjoy. Yeah, that like what's the difference between Neil Young and Dinosaur Junior when you think about it? It's like there's like there's like, a, like some there's like some loud, long-haired dudes that love playing loud, like yes, fucking rocking yeah. out, and it's like yeah, you know, diff- slightly different generation, but like really not that 
they're spiritually connected in a, in a great way, so. Very spiritually connected, so true. The air was magic when we played. The river boat was rocking in the rain. Midnight was the time for the rain. Uh, next, Hey, That's No Way to Say Goodbye by Roberta Flack off of First Take. This record recently reissued, actually, everyone. It's supposed to be great, so uh, check it out. The new, I guess, remastered version, which I don't have. I have an old copy, but just a yeah, I mean, Roberta, for everyone. Oh, gosh, Roberta Flack. It's like one of those things that you don't realize how good it is until you're like older and you're like, oh, my God, Roberta Same. And it's like, it's, it's like one of those artists that I, obviously she was covered um, by the Fugees, like Killing Me Softly, but yeah. like, her version is like her voice is so good and, and and her arrangements and presentations are so good there's an album she did um and this is like a cover of a leonard cohen song where she really transforms uh uh she really transforms the arrangement and the presentation of it and makes it makes it her own which i think is really cool but uh gosh what was that record that i, I love of hers it's like um it's got a circle it's like it's like a it's a big picture of her with her hair out. Quiet fire, um, that song "Go Up Moses" is uh, so good, and and she just has like a, an interesting. I don't know if she got to choose what songs were on her records as much because it's like really strange. She'll have this song like "Go Up Moses," which is this like really powerful, um, a, a politicized, um, soul funk uh, song that is like really like really cool and then like the next song is a cover of bridge over troubled water yeah. <laughs> and i'm just like wait what <laughs> and then like it goes back into like it, I, i'm I, like sometimes like the like her artistry is always supreme but sometimes like the the song selections are a little like wait why is that song next to that song but um in, in this case of covering um she does a cover of suzanne too that's like 10 minutes long that's like really like awesome so I, I i like her cover songs sometimes the choices are a little like unusual but her voice and her artistry is just uh supreme and i i, I feel lucky now that we live in an era of streaming or era where so much music is just accessible and i can you know put on uh quiet fire or uh killing me softly or um her, her first take album on headphones and just sort of uh, disappear into it and into her voice and her playing. It's she's just an amazing artist. Uh, so yeah, that's that's why she's on here. Yeah, and it's it, it's so interesting to me because I feel like I've been going through a similar discovery of great '60s and '70s soul music at this age and this time in my life, where I'm really interested in listening to artists like Roberta Flack, Minnie Roberts, uh, other great soul singers like that from that era and really appreciate what they're able to do and the incredible music that they make yeah it's 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 awesome like i i, I know like there's a lot of um consternation about like how money is distributed with streaming sites and stuff like that and artists and like of course like you know artists should be getting their fair a fair share of like money that's being brought in um and i don't I, I don't mean to say that like these things are perfect uh, and good at all, but I love having access to like 
Yeah. This vast array of re recorded music history at, at the touch of a of a fingertip, and it just it expands yeah. my mind and expands what I'm able to hear and understand and uh, explore so much more than when I was just a, when I was just a kid, and you really were limited by what like you know your local record store had, or yeah. like, and you couldn't really listen to things before you bought them in the same way, and so you didn't even know. You might see a Roberta Flack record, but you might not even know that you'd like it. And yeah. um, so, yeah, that it, there's a lot of good that's come out of like the technological uh, uh, music world, at least that we live in now. Your love stays with me. It's just the way life changes, like the shoreline of the sea. Let's not talk of love or change. Things we can't untie. Your eyes fill with sorrow. That's no way. Next, Winter in the Dark off of Janine's self titled debut from 2019, released on Slumberland Records. I loved the simplicity of this record and the great, great songwriting, too. Just really catchy songs well this band like sort of unites two people i've known for a really long time uh yeah. alicia uh was an intern at my old work <laughs> like when i when i started pains like she was like an intern there uh at my old work and like we'd hang out sometimes and she was really into like dear nora and this band yellow fever and, and stuff and i was really into that too so we'd get together and like listen to music a lot and uh hang out and we we're friends but she i never knew she she didn't make music at that time. Yeah, she, yeah. I didn't know she, 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 she only recently, with this project, I think, started making music. And she's but great. But she had this awesome taste. Like, yeah. She was like really loved cool stuff and like just the right way is like. Um, and then uh, Jed, Jed, Jedediah yeah. from uh, My Teenage Stride, which was a band that was really inspiring to Pains when we were starting off. Like, you know, the only reason we got famous is we just sent our, our, our songs to the same MP3 blogs that. Uh, that liked my teenage stride. That was our. That was our. Like, our that was like our like ambitions. Like, oh, you know, it's a cool band, my teenage stride. We should like send our MP3s to like these MP3 blogs that uh, like my teenage stride. They might like our songs too because we like my teenage stride. So that was sort of our like. That was like our, our our way of evaluating whether like someone might like our music as if they liked my teenage stride too. Um, and I think he's like, you know, they never really got their due um, outside of New York and and like the sort of indie pop world here. Um, they just kind of existed at a time slightly before things there was like attention being paid to the, the New York scene. Uh, but that album, Ears Like Golden Bats, is almost flawless, I think. And, yeah. and I, I'm so happy to see Jed making music again. And um, and I think Alicia's uh, songwriting is and lyricism is really good. And I know I picked that Winter in the Dark song, but um, she did an EP uh, called like things are gonna change. Um, I think it's called that. It's it was on Sunburland too. It was like or maybe it was like on where it's at is where you are. Uh, but yeah, it's like the fact that her musical journey like sort of has intersected with like we've known each other for a while and now like, yeah. all of a sudden she's this like incredible songwriter and like making yeah. her own music and I'm just like I'm really proud of her and I really I think I really like it a lot. It was like I remember hearing the first demos and like sending it around to everyone that I like she posted some demo on Bandcamp like early on and I was I was like just sending to everyone I was like do you know Alicia made music and it was yeah. like so good and I was just like 
can you believe how good this is? Like, it was just like, it's like it's such a surprise. It wasn't like she was the kind of person at all to be like, hey, check out my band. Hey, do you th can I send you some demos or like whatever? It just like, kind of came out of nowhere, or at least to me. And I was just so overwhelmed by like, it felt special and uh, a really uh, distinct perspective um, and a sense of like, she wanted to, she knew what she wanted to do like from the start. And that's so rare from like, you know, the first couple songs you might write for them to be so good, like were, was just like sort of a revelation. So, um, yeah, I, I wrote, I, and, and, you know, the naturals played some shows with Janine's, uh, before, yeah. before COVID we played that Slumberland, um, whatever, whatever 30 year 30th anniversary anniversary party. <laughs> it's like funny, yeah. like Payne's played like the, tw I guess the 20th and then now it's like the 30th. It's like, <laughs> Whoa, where did the time go? Um, so, uh, yeah, I really love Janine's and I'm looking forward to, new music that they'll be making soon and uh and their continued uh journey uh me so too she is an incredible songwriter and really inspirational story for anyone who wants to make music you don't have to have been making music since you were like 13 years old to dive into it and hone your craft and write songs that people like and songs that are good that's always cool to me to see things like that yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really nice. One of us must know sooner or later off of Bob Dylan's Blonde on Blonde. Great kind of this song. Really, I feel like reflective of the sound on your record a little bit with the, the organ and things like that and the guitars. So I thought this was a really appropriate choice. Yeah, like the way that piano cascades into the chorus. Yeah. It's just like it just like sends a chill up my spine every time. Uh, but what what I liked about this song, um, what I thought was unique about it, and I'm sure you can find examples where this wasn't the case, was that for the era that Dylan wrote in, um, his music wasn't rooted in contempt for women. Like it was, it was yeah. strangely. This is a strangely self-reflective song um, for a person writing at his time in history and with his acclaim and stature to sort of reflect on so like maybe i wasn't maybe i didn't treat you the i didn't treat you the right way yeah, like yeah. i was at fault and it wasn't just like i was a oh, baby come back to me kind of thing it wasn't <laughs> yeah. about that it was acknowledging that this other person had agency and the right to do what they wanted to do and that he didn't treat them well and he didn't expect them to forgive him exactly but he wanted them to know that he wasn't in the right, uh, and yeah. and it's it's a it's a strangely modest song from, uh, you know, a person that didn't at a time when that wasn't seen as a virtue. It was like it was it was, it was uh, it's a very it's a, it's a it's a sentiment that's almost kind. I mean, I wouldn't say it's entirely kind, but it's 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 rooted in something very different than um, the rock and roll of the era in which it was created so i i just always i love the the musicality of it too but i i just the sentiment of it too just was 
uh, is always kind of a little touching and, and melancholic. Uh, so I, I like that one. Yeah, and it also kind of captures just how genuine Dylan was with his songwriting because he and and how it wasn't even really deliberate. He just wrote what he wanted to write. I, I think that's kind of the really beautiful thing about him, where other people were ascribing all of these different motives or meanings to his songs. He was kind of just like, you know, I'm just doing what I'm doing and people can process it or interpret it whatever however they want to yeah it's like uh like at the same time you know like mick jagger was releasing a single called stupid girl where the chorus was look at that stupid girl or like yesterday's papers like who wants yesterday's paper it's like like, considering the milieu he was like existing within and what was kind of i almost feel like some people acted worse than they really were because they thought that's what made them cool cool, like it was almost like people were encouraged to be like oh, I guess if Led Zeppelin is like this way, like we should, that's like kind of a cool way to be. Um, I often, I often think about, you know, I, you know, if I would have, you know, probably the seventh song and the other one I would have thought is like the Kinks Strangers. Uh, It's like another song like that or just the Kinks in general. I I feel like the Kinks were strangely, I know they were like mean to each other (laughs) and and, and sometimes like very catty, but like there was a, I didn't feel like they were rude. They were there was more going on in their songwriting than I think a lot of their peers as well in terms of social commentary and yeah. sort of under being sympathetic to like normal people and what they were going through. I, I don't know. Totally, um, I, I I agree with you on that for sure. And I, I always I always uh, it's not to be provocative. Like I know there's like on the indie pop message board, the joke always used to be Beatles or Stones, and you'd say the Kinks if you're like really into indie <laughs> pop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. As a way of sort of like subverting that. Uh, that that dichotomy but like I think now we're not going to listen to the case I've always when I think about it like the five records that Ray Davies and the Kinks did like from something else through uh, uh, Power Man and Muswell Hillbillies is like as good a five record stretch as anyone any of his peers ever did and it's not to say the Kinks are better than the Beatles or the Stones but they certainly did something that should be held on equal uh, 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 of equal worth as um Lennon McCar- McCarthy and um, yeah I agree totally it's weird that they kind of get pushed to the back burner because I really don't view them as second class to them either of those bands at all yeah they were I mean they were about a different thing than the Stones and they were yeah. about a, I mean maybe they're a little closer to the Beatles in composition than the Stones which is a more blues-based like yeah. endeavor but they did what they did as well, if not better than um, anyone at that time. So I, I, I always kind of, you know, and when I was younger, I used to think, oh yeah, Village Green and something else were like the jams. But like, as I get older, like I realize, no, dude, like Arthur is absolutely like stunning of an, is a stunning yeah. album. And then Muswell Hill is what do you think about what it's about? And it's about like the gentrification of like, these old communities in England where working class people were being pushed out and like that like resonates now. And like yeah. and then and to, then to map it onto some of this idea of like American um, issues of like land and like identity and stuff like that. It's 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 very clever and and working on like a, a, a deeper level than they're not just like 
hey, they wrote Lola. And which is, and the thing is, it's like, Lola, I was talking to my friend in, in, uh, in Glasgow about this. And he was like, me and my friends got together and we tried to discuss, dis- like, figure out if like Lola was a transphobic song. And it's, and it's really not. It's, yeah, it's, I don't think so at all. It's very compassionate. And it's not like, yeah. it's not, it's not Aerosmith's dude looks like a lady at all. Yeah. It's not that sentiment of like ah, i thought she was a lady but it yeah. was a dude it was it's not it's not anything on that idea it's it's a very um it, it allows it it's it's it allows itself to not judge or find like cheap humor in it and and yeah. I, I think that's and i and, and i and i just feel bad because like ray davies is just he is that kind of, he wrote he wrote waterloo sunset i mean this guy is like and I know he's kind of had like a hap- unhappy sort of existence over time and maybe not recognized the way he should be. But I, I don't know why we're talking about the Kinks so long. But anyway, go out and listen to the Kinks. They're great. <laughs> yeah, um, they are great. <laughs> I didn't know that you were saying goodbye for good. And then wrapping it up with Rockstar by Hole off of Live Through This. Oh my goodness. I mean, I am I am a great uh a qualified defender of the um with qualifications a defender of, of, of Courtney Love's Me too. Uh, legacy. And I, I think the things that people hold her accountable for are unfair. Like or the things that most people think like make her like when people are like, but what kind of mother was she, or what kind of like partner was she, and yeah. oh no, she was drunk and disorderly in public. Like, like all these things are never asked of uh, a male rock star Man, in position, yeah. and it's just it just seems like a very unfair critique to be like, what kind of mother was she, and I I, I just no one would ask what kind of father Kurt Cobain was, yeah, you know? yeah. it's, and it's I and I. And there's a there's a tragedy in, in in his life that is is hard to even think about because it's like he 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 drove himself he was driven to like this sense of great unworth yeah. by a very unusual like almost it's like winning the lottery and then like being the greatest curse on your life it's like he was so fixated on uh, a sense of his unworthiness to inhabit this mantle of like generational icon and 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 yeah. rock star and and people asking him like you know what he thought about this and that and um and what i loved about courtney and the heiress is she embraced it all she loved it she had she knew what a rock and roll star should be it should be like ian mccullough like she was like out yeah. with the Bunnymen in the 80s hanging out like she like she knew how to be provocative and how to be funny and clever and make people feel uncomfortable and lived through this is just is to me the defining album of the 90s because it's yeah. filled with all the contradictions of wanting to supplant mainstream rock and roll but then also becoming mainstream rock and roll. It's like she doesn't question the power structures of the 90s. She wants to be at the top of them. And, and it's like that's like it's a morally complicated position too and it's like her feminism was a little short-sighted. Like it's like she's not like there's a reason like the Riot Girl movement never embraced her because she was, you know, she was not willing to 
I don't know how to say it. She like punched Kathleen Hanna. Like, she yeah, was like yeah. A, she was like not willing to play anyone else's game. And I game and or I, narrative, and, 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 yeah. And, and you and you shouldn't. I mean, and, and she and obviously that's wrong. And it's like obviously like Kathleen Hanna is a lot cooler, and like Bikini Kill is like a lot cooler, and like what they stood for was a lot more uh, ideologically pure and well thought out. But I think yeah. there's like this kind of visceral like I'm just going to be a fucking rock star thing about Courtney that I I really love because it was so different than what her peers were saying and wanting to be. And like, even now when people are like, well, guess who really wrote her songs or like, what kind of this or that? It just feels so beside the point. She was the rock star of the 1990s, not Kurt Cobain, not Eddie Vedder and not even Billy Corgan. Like she was like the most representative of that movement where like a band making a, a covering like there's fucking a uh, young marble giants cover in the middle of yeah. like we have to do this. Everyone's like, oh, is it so cool? Kurt loved like the Vaseline's. I'm like, of course, yeah, that's cool. But yeah. like, Courtney knew her shit, and she yeah, was she like, did. and I so I, I I really think and and but also I want I want to say just so people don't understand, like she said a lot of things that don't get publicized as much that are like really fucked up too. Like she's she's like the stuff she gets in trouble for isn't the stuff I care about. Like flashing her tits to David yeah. Letterman. But she has said, like, some weird, in recent years, or, like, even at the time, like, there's, like, a Twitter feed that kind of catalogs it, like, before I, like, say that she's a saint, like, she said some, like, transphobic, homophobic, like, misogynistic stuff, where she's, like, I don't want to, like, she, the way she sees the world at times is um, problematic, but it seems like people have problems with her for the wrong reasons. Yeah. But um, I, I, I love this record, and it just gave such an important counterpoint and voice to... Um, a generation of uh, primarily young women, like yeah. that. Like grunge was such a a, a, boys a, dude, club, yeah. a boys club, and it was just like about male pain and angst, and like all these like "fuck you, dad" songs. Um, and she just gave this like really important, differ, differing perspective. And she was like kind of transgressive in a way that Nirvana couldn't be. Like for all of Kurt Cobain's like counterculture, he was like. He looked like a rock, the way a rock star was meant to yes. look, like beautiful blue eyes, like emaciated and like, and he sort of fit a, an idea of rock and roll that even if it was new, wasn't exactly breaking the mold. And I don't know if anyone, I mean, Courtney Love was not the first person to sing ugly, uh, yeah. the first woman to sing ugly, but she was the first woman to, I think, go platinum singing ugly. And I, yeah. I mean, singing ugly is a compliment. Like, yeah. she, that the way she sang, it wasn't like she was the first to howl like that or, 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 or shred her voice like that. But she, like, went, she took it to the top in ways that had never Been happened before, up to yeah. that point. I mean, you can say, I think, I mean, Joan Jett, in a sense, like, also had a, a brusque kind of voice, but, like, it wasn't as guttural as, like, what Courtney was delivering on, like, Live Through This. Um, so yeah. I, that, so, so yeah, Courtney Love, like, you know, uh, some good, some bad, but like this record is great. So I think we were both on a Facebook thread comment recently talking about Courtney Love too. I forget who posted it. I think you may have replied as well. I sometimes jump into those. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, every once in a while when I, when like something kind of piques my interest, I'm like, I will. The one that's always on there, it's like Jed from My Teenage Stride is like, like the, the internet commenter of the, he always has like a very, uh, he's like, 
he's a very avid poster on social media about like, yeah. these kinds of debates. Uh, but like, yeah, like when, when certain people get invoked, I'm like, yeah, you know, the reason why you guys don't like her shouldn't be those reasons. <laughs> like, totally. Yes. And that's what you, you brought that up and it was really well, well said. My comment when I always, Cordy Love is always brought up. I love this record, but I also love Celebrity Skin because I was impressed as to Hole could make such a visceral, you know, rough record like this that's chock full of so much pain and angst uh, across it and then make like a really well-written power pop record in oh, Celebrity yeah. Skin. So it's so cool to see how they moved on to the band moved on to that right after because I really like Celebrity Skin. It's a great record. It is. And that song Malibu is like yeah, so good. And then it's a uh, and I mean, it is that was the karaoke one. I mean, it's like yeah. everyone Celebrity Skin itself is like almost everyone's karaoke. At some point in the night, someone will bust that out on karaoke because yeah. it's just so perfect. Um, <laughs> a walking study in demonology, man. It's yeah. like it's like fucking <laughs> awesome shit. Oh uh, yeah, no, it's 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 great. So, Kip, so great having you on Look at My Records podcast. We had an incredible conversation talking about your curated playlist and your new re- record, Tethers, which is out now via K9 Records. You can get it on vinyl via thenatural.bandcamp.com. Everyone, that's spelled T-H-E-N-A-T-V-R-A-L.bandcamp. Dot com also available on all streaming platforms as well. Now that the record's out, uh, what's next for you? Are you hoping to tour in the fall when things open up or play some gigs in the summer, maybe outdoors? What's well, on I, the agenda? Well, I definitely I definitely would love to uh, tour if those opportunities present themselves. I think we're still in a period where we just don't know when things are going to open up. And I think there's going to be yeah. also a backlog of all the people whose things got canceled kind of have dibs on those shows before me. Yeah. So um, I was talking to the guy that uh, uh, books books my stuff uh, in in abroad, at least in, in, in England and uh, Europe. And he was like, I don't think there's going to be anything till next spring for you. So hopefully maybe in the States there, there will be, but it's very possible that this year is going to just be spent... Um, uh, writing, recording, uh, maybe playing outdoor shows when I can. I, I was invited to play this uh, festival in Norway that I, I hope I can still do in, in yeah. July called Indie July tenth, F- yeah, Indie Fjord, and I I hope I can go. Uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that I can go, and it'll be wonderful because uh, Celia, um, who's been putting it on, it's like a festival I've, wa- I've wanted to play every year, um, and and I. I wanted to play last year. You know, I've, I've, every year that's happened, I'm so, I've, I've, I've known her and she's like, please play. And I, I really want to. And, and now I finally have the chance to. And uh, I hope it happens. Um, but if not, you know, I, I hope people listen to the record. And when I get familiar with it and when I do play shows, uh, they'll, they'll know the songs. And um, 
hope we still be there for that. But um, it's been a, it's been a long time, and it might still be a long time again before I get to do things. But uh, we just gotta um, stay safe, take care of each other, follow the rules, and um, when things can open up again safely and people can be together, I hope to be one of those people. Awesome. And everyone, you could also get copies at thenatural.com, T-H-E-N-A-T-V-R-A-L.com. That's probably the way to do it because the ones on Bandcamp are sold out, or at least the physical. Like if you want to get MP3s on Bandcamp, that's definitely the way, way to do it. But uh, the records that were up there are are no more. And um, yeah, so just go to my website, the, nat- the Natural, spelled with a V, where the U should be because I like an unnatural spelling of the name. Excellent. And if, and if you're listening to this and you're in a across an ocean maybe in 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 europe or whatever uh dirty bingo records is putting it out over there and they have like a they have pink vinyl so if you want to get your record on pink vinyl go to dirtybingo.co.uk and they will be more than happy to sell you a very pink version of my record awesome everyone you can find all that info in the description of this podcast episode so you don't need to go searching around for it just click below get yourself a copy if you live abroad or here via the natural with the v.com cool t-shirt bundle as well to go along with the record and your debut ep know me more is also available on seven inch vinyl well thank you so much tom it's been a huge uh joy to be part of your show and look at, and being able to look at your records even if i can't physically look at them right now hopefully uh if i'm so lucky as to be able to make another record someday i can come over to your spot and we can have fun on the, with the old record collection yes i insist I'm going to insist that that happens. It's such a thrill to chat with you. I've been a big fan for a long time, so it's really, really cool. Tom, that's very kind of you to say, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to uh, ramble on in my nasal voice about uh, music I love. Before we go, we're going to play one more track from the record. We're going to play the album Closer that we talked about earlier, Alone in London. Doubts. Twain. 
saving It never caught me in mind The tears are honey, sorry. 
Forgotten, I never call.